This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. First and goal, Buffalo. Allen fakes it, pumps it, and runs it in for the touchdown. Third and four. Time. Catch! Brandon Powell, touchdown Vikings, and they have the lead. This is a masterpiece by this defense. Tune slinging it, that pass intercepted. Sione Taki Taki. Takeaway number three for the Stroud. To the end zone. Touchdown. Take Dell. Perfectly thrown by CJ Stroud. Highlights from all over the NFL. Danny Bailey puts that together. Thanks, Danny Bailey in the booth. Uh, welcome to Sandy and Sean. I'm Sean Drotar. Sandy Clough on my left. The reason we start with that, of course, is because the Denver Broncos. A bye week is over, and they will return to action next Monday against the Bills. You heard a little bit there. In fact, what we heard were games from the Broncos' next four opponents. And we can sort of take a look at it uh, a bit at a time if we'd like, because the Broncos feel that perhaps maybe things have turned around. And at 3-5, and and with the second lowest odds on making the playoffs in the AFC ahead of only the Patriots, they believe that there's an opportunity to make a run. And I guess when you look at the actual standings, uh, even though they are 15th in the conference, when you look at the actual playoff spots, they're, you know, in theory, a couple of games behind. Oh, three and five, five and three would be in at the moment. With I, I two, get it. four, six, eight teams, at least eight teams to climb over. That's including Cincinnati problem. and Buffalo. Yeah. And if they lose in Buffalo on Monday night, they lose that tiebreaker and they fall. Uh, two, three, and six. Buffalo would be six and four. That's two and a half games. That's really three and a half games if they lose head to head to Buffalo. Uh, it is over. Uh, it's been people over. can say what yeah, they want. It was over. It's been over for a month. It was over really at one and basically at one and three, but one and four I definitely. So. I think so. Yeah. I think it was over um, when they not only lost to the Raiders on opening day. Uh, they went on to lose at home to Washington and the Jets, who are not good teams no. in a league that's not good, Sean. 19 of the 32 teams in the NFL have lost four or more games. Yeah, That's almost 60% of the league yeah. is bad. It, that's now, I, I will grant you that Buffalo is one of those teams at five and four, Right now, the Buffalo Bills would not be in the playoffs in the AFC. The Minnesota Vikings, yes, in the NFC would be the final playoff qualifier, and Minnesota is 5-4. and four. But that's what we're talking about. And somebody has to win. Uh, I mean, Tennessee and the Raiders and the Colts and the Jets and the Chargers and Houston and Buffalo and Cincinnati, they, they play against other teams in that group. Somebody has to win. They can't all lose their remaining right. games. As it stands today, and the, Broncos the entire win AFC North games. would make it. As it stands right That's now. That's right. The whole division, all and four of them. And it is not implausible. We're far enough into this season. Virtually halfway. To say that the records tell a story. Now, the famous Bill Parcells line you are what your record says you are, just for context, was not uttered during the course of a season. It was uttered at the end of a season. 
at a season-ending press conference when somebody asked him, playing 16 games, and I don't remember exactly what the year was or even which team he was coaching, when he said, you are what your record says you are, parenthetically over a full season. I understand that. But if you're at the halfway mark, teams don't necessarily change their spots. And, you know, Sean Payton likes to talk about how Bronco history began the day he took the job. And anything that preceded Sean Payton or anyone here in Denver, including some of the best coaches of all time, don't stand for anything in his mind. His Bronco history started the day he took the job, and that should be our Bronco history too. But let me remind Coach Payton that winning two straight is not a big deal. The Broncos in 2017, Vance Joseph's first year as head coach, they won two straight twice. He's only won two straight once, and it's midseason. That team went 5-11. and 11. The next year they went 6-10. and 10. You know what? Again, a Vance Joseph coach team won two straight and actually won three straight to go from three and six to six and six. And no one in his or her right mind at six and six said the Broncos are going to the playoffs. Any more than people said when they were seven and six in 2021 with Teddy Bridgewater playing as well at quarterback as virtually any other Bronco quarterback has played since Peyton Manning's retirement. Nobody said they were going to the playoffs when they were seven and six. So how is three and five all of a sudden playoff contention? Six and ten had a two-game winning streak and a three-game winning streak. Seven and nine, three times. This is Vic Fangio's first year. Three times had a two-game winning streak. Went five and eleven the next year. Won two straight at one point. Seven and ten the year after that. Again, won two straight and three straight. The first three of the year, as we all remember, Fangio's last year started 3-0. and They went 5-12 and last year. Believe it or not, they did win two straight. After losing their opener, they won two in a row. So he's going to make a big deal about winning two straight as significant of a turnaround, and he was quoted to that effect by an NFL executive last week in the Washington Post, and... You know what? I'm reading his comments from yesterday on a conference call as the Broncos are reconvening this week for their game in Buffalo on Monday night. Sounds like the same guy to me who uttered those quotes. Oh, we've turned it around. We're so much better in so many areas than we were at the beginning of the year. Well, you're better than New England. Here's what's different. what Sean Payton said earlier this week. But I feel like we're a better team today than we were four or five weeks ago. You can see that in a lot of ways. Analytically, there's a lot of time spent on what you're doing and who you're doing it with. So when you're substituting personnel groups, you aren't necessarily substituting player play tendencies. You're going to have tendencies 60, 40, 70, 30, and I'm comfortable with those. I don't want it to be in the high 80s or 90s. A lot of the self-scouting specifically, I'm giving you an example on offense. But overall, from an overview as a team, we're a lot further down the road. And because of that, you get more invested and recognize the next opportunity at hand. Now, it wasn't that long ago, in fact, you know, one week ago, where we took a look at the Broncos schedule and thought, well, maybe there are some potential weaknesses here. Now, the Bills weren't one of them. And even though the Bills were beaten by the Bengals, the Bengals right now are playing as well as anyone in the NFL. 
and I don't think it's a, a shame for the Bills to lose by six to the Bengals in Cincinnati. Except that was a playoff game in the sense that, at least for now, the winner makes the playoffs. Right. The loser does not. But the Bills, I, I don't look at the Bills and say, oh, see, look, they're much more vulnerable compared to the Broncos. I don't. Of course I, I, not. The Broncos are not in the same area code as the Bills right now, and that's that. But you look at the next game, and you thought, well, the Vikings, without Kirk Cousins, perhaps, uh, all of a sudden, that doesn't maybe become a pushover, but you match it up and say, they don't have Kirk Cousins. The Denver Broncos are the better of the two teams. I'm not so sure anymore. Now, the Falcons aren't good. That they, they came into the game 4-4 four and four on Sunday, and they lost to the Vikings and their new quarterback, Joshua Dobbs. But Dobbs hadn't even had a practice with the Vikings. And if you not look even at the a, Minnesota think about Vikings, that. Doesn't know the playbook. Never even had a practice. All the Vikings have to do, apparently for now at least, to be a playoff team, is be a top ten defensive team, which according to Football Outsiders DVOA, they are at the present time. The Vikings have a pretty good defense. It is better than last year's defense. And they scored thirty one. Got two excellent safeties, yep. a young one and an older one. They. They're, Good pass they're rush. a playoff team, for goodness sake. They're a winning team. They're 5-4. and four. The Broncos are 3-5, and five, and the Broncos are supposed to skip right past the Vikings. I don't think so. That's a Sunday night game. Uh, the Broncos have not been ready for prime time for years now. Uh, the few times they've been shown uh, this year and, of course, quite a bit early last year, but even when they were shown on Christmas Day and nationally featured, thoroughly embarrassed themselves. And they have at least three primetime games left, including next week's Monday night game against the Bills. Well, but the, the week after that, One Sunday thing we night, can be Vikings. sure of, the Broncos' streak of not losing on Sunday afternoons, which is at last look, three Sundays in a row, <laughs> right. right? It will continue, and it will become a five-Sunday afternoon week of non-losing football. Because they play Monday night in Buffalo and Sunday night against Minnesota. And their loss so their last Sunday loss against Kansas City was a Thursday. Stretch without a loss will continue. You know how bad it is when least, you're looking for that at stat? At least until November 26th, which <laughs> I believe is after Thanksgiving. So between Halloween and Thanksgiving, the Broncos can hang their hat on never losing a Sunday afternoon game. Boy, you're really you're really reaching. There, there, but I mean, there the Vikings are going to be tricky. That will be at home. But no, I think you know you saw what they could do. Two weeks with Dobbs being incorporated. Two weeks of getting perhaps uh, the word out of Minnesota. Kevin O'Connell said that they may get uh, just they may start Justin Jefferson's window oh, of practice. Jo- Justin Jefferson will be ready for the Broncos this on the week. 19th. Uh, so on that, the nineteenth, you know, it could be two weeks. Maybe this week, uh, it, it could be very quickly. So you know, if if Jefferson is there, obviously that makes things tougher for the Broncos, the Browns. The idea was who knows what you're going to get out of Deshaun Watson. If anything, he hadn't been playing well. They they play this week on, on Sunday. Deshaun Watson does play, though he's not amazing. He does throw for 219 yards and two touchdowns. And the Browns' defense, as we've talked about before, is the best in the NFL. They shut out the Cardinals 27-0. They could have played a game immediately after that game, double yeah, in yeah. length, and the Cardinals still would have scored zero points. I agree with that. And, you know, measuring yourself against the Arizona Cardinals, people may have a tendency to dismiss that, but I would only add, look at their performance otherwise this year against much better teams. It's not that much different, by and large. Uh, 
Miles Garrett is the best defensive player in football and I think a legitimate MVP candidate. I mean, they're a team without an offense, Sean, that is nonetheless ranked in overall VOA by football outsiders. Efficiency stat is the eighth best team in the league. They have beaten both the Bengals and the Niners. They are a top 10 special teams team and Mm -hmm. they're the best defensive team in the league and they can be one of the first, uh, one of the worst five offensive teams, which they are, right? Without Nick Chubb and with Watson. Most of the season without Watson. You know, Watson played well for the first time this year against Arizona, the worst team in the league. So I don't put much stock in that. In this day and age, you know how good you have to be on defense and special teams to be one of the eight best teams in football with a 28th ranked offense? Do you know how good you have to be? So people who are saying, well, you know, they're playing Deshaun Watson. Russell Wilson's better than Deshaun Watson. Yeah, he is. But Cleveland's better everywhere else, certainly on defense and special teams. And the Cleveland Browns are also a playoff team. And after that, you have three straight road games at Houston. You will not be favored. At the Chargers, you will not be favored. At Detroit, you certainly will not be favored. Wouldn't think so. And and this is all before the Christmas Eve tilt. And it is a Christmas Eve tilt, literally. It's a 16, 6-15 game start on the NFL Network on Christmas Eve with New England, a team they probably should be able to handle at home, I would think. And then you have the Chargers at home. And with the Chargers, especially the Chargers on the road, uh, you know, it's Forrest Gump's box of chocolates. <laughs> you know, you don't know what you're uh, going to get. But I see probably a couple more wins, maybe three. If they get to 6-11, and 11, and oh, by the way, that's the pace they've been on over the last 112 regular season NFL games they've played, a pace that would translate to 6-11 and 11 over a 17-game season. That's who they are. And if that's playoff contention, boy, you have a funny idea of what playoff contention. And, and for me, it's even less about the, the you know the, the history even this year, and just more about the understanding that the teams that you are playing that maybe a week ago looked like they might be not pushovers, but beatable. By a Broncos team that I think even when talking about playoff possibilities, I think people look at it and say, well, some things have to break right. The Bills are better. The Vikings are better. The Browns are better. And and now the fourth game coming out of the bye is the Texans. I'm not sure the Texans now at 4-4 four and four, and with a quarterback that is clearly not put in the Hall of Fame or anything, but clearly the questions about C.J. Stroud's viability as an NFL starter have already been answered. You heard the highlight there. He threw for 470 yards and five touchdowns, and this is after starting his career by setting the new record for the most pass attempts without throwing an interception in your career. He's the real deal. Guess who the number one quarterback in the NFL is in interception avoidance. Wow. As a rookie. It's not even close. As a rookie. Not even close. Not even close. That's stunning. Stroud, and you say, well, he's he plays it safe, so he won't throw picks. Um, his percentage of touchdown passes thrown, eighth 
in the league. He has 14. That's Eight. that's seventh overall in just raw numbers. Here are some of the guys ahead of him. He's only throwing one pick. Touchdown percentage. Touchdown percentage. Mm-hmm. Wilson. Fields. Tua. Allen. And Purdy. Those are the top five in touchdown percentage. Stroud's number one in interception percentage, and he's only slightly behind those five guys in percentage of touchdown passes thrown. C.J. Stroud, you're right, is the real deal. On that stat alone, and his rating, passer rating, is better than Russell Wilson's, and that's Russell Wilson's strength. Russell Wilson's fifth in the in the league. C.J. Stroud is and, fourth, and well, that's right. Kirk Cousins and was third, and he's I, out for the year. And he's out for the year. I, I I wrote down my top five in various quarterbacking categories, and I excluded Cousins because he's hurt. I'm talking about healthy quarterbacks, right. I'm not demeaning. Yeah, <laughs> it's Cousins. unfortunate Cousins that he was, he was having a terrific year, right? He he has been this year a top five National Football League quarterback, not just top ten, top five. But he's hurt now, mm-hmm. so everybody moves up at least among the healthy quarterbacks. And here's the problem. Russell Wilson's QBR, and this is crazy. I've never seen anything like it. I haven't either. How his, among healthy quarterbacks, his passer rating could be fourth in the league, fifth overall, Mm -hmm. with Cousins included, right? 21st, not even top 20 in QBR at 46.3. That makes no sense to me. He is a distinctly below-average quarterback. Stroud, by the way, since a 12. 12. As opposed to 21. Yeah. We're talking right at the cusp of the top 10. And guess who's number one? The guy they'll be playing on Monday Monday night. Josh Allen. So this is problematic. And listen, Josh Allen has had a funky kind of year. He's thrown a ton of picks. That would be nine. Mm -hmm. That's way too many. And the Bills lean on him way too much. But. When it comes to completion percentage, yeah. here's a guy who completed 56% of his passes at Wyoming. And now, even in an up-and-down year, second in the league behind only Lamar Jackson completing 71.3% of his passes. He is also up there in a percentage of touchdown passes thrown. He is number four behind Wilson Fields and Tua. Yards uh, per attempt, uh, he doesn't make it, but that is not a Russell Wilson strength at 6.9. Russell Wilson is 20th in the league in passing yards per attempt. Um, uh, Rating, we've uh, talked about QBR. Uh, Josh Allen is number one. And in those among qualifying quarterbacks most difficult to sack, only Patrick Mahomes beats out Josh Allen. Josh Allen probably runs around still more than he should. And it's not a rhythmic offense. In fact, it looks quite disjointed at times. But if the Broncos are counting on sacking him Monday night more than maybe once, uh, he's only been sacked 13 times in nine games. They're dreaming. Uh, You know, you have Mahomes, hardest to sack. Allen, number two, followed by Tua, Baker Mayfield, strangely enough, and Jared Goff. Wilson, by the way, is 27th on one out of every 10 
pass attempts, Russell Wilson is not just getting pressured. He's getting brought to the ground. He's getting sacked. 10%? Mahomes is at 3.5%. Allen's at 3.9%. Russell Wilson's at 10%. And the Broncos are going to make a run? Yeah, just like CU's going to make a run and win its last three games and win its bowl game. Too. We will get into more of how the Broncos' offense will look, especially with those situations with Russell Wilson and his relationship with Sean Payton. But we'll turn our attention, as Sandy suggested, up to Boulder, where the coaching situation appears to be, at least on the assistant side, still kind of as clear as mud, and maybe that's the way they like it. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. On Saturday, the Colorado Buffaloes will finish their home portion of their season in the first year under Deion Sanders as head coach. And started out great, and it's kind of been bumpy ever since. The truth of the matter is, as weird as this has all gone around, and it has, things have more or less turned out record-wise, I think, for what a lot of people expected. Should they have beaten Stanford? Yes. Did people have them beating TCU at the beginning of the year? No. Uh, I'm not shocked to see that this is a team that, at this stage, this is about where they are. So on, on one hand, you look at it and think that Okay, they started 3-0. It's been a disaster for the Buffaloes. You know, this is just a, a wreck. On the other hand, you know, I look at it, and, and I would have said at the beginning of the year, and I think you would have too, that nine games into the season, if they were 4-5, and five, you'd say, hey, pretty good. You're, yeah, on, you're not, on track. Not good enough to make a bowl, but pretty good. But given from where they were uh, the year before, you know, not not bad. Certainly, well, the, of course. The, turn, I mean, the, the turnaround was... Is, there's, there's no disputing that. Even, yeah. the, even the most ardent critics would acknowledge... Uh, I hope. <laughs> yeah. I haven't spoke to all of them. Uh, I I think they all, though, would fair-mindedly assess the situation and say, yes, uh, they have a losing record, but they're not getting their doors blown off the way they were last year. They were absolutely unwatchable last year. They lost there how many games by more than 20? Yeah. Of games over the last six and that would include the bye week, seven weeks, in which they've been tough to watch, both offensively and defensively. But nothing like last year. The, nothing like the complete no. lack there's, there's of been, spirit and competitiveness. Nothing. Nothing. So nobody is questioning, even to get to four and five, that it was necessary to do some shuffling. But I think one of the more interesting questions that we have had about a lot of coaches around here mm-hmm. who have come in uh, breathing fire and brimstone, and Dion certainly was one of them. Yep. So is Nathaniel Hackett. Yep. To an extent, Sean Payton. Yes. What happens when they lose? How do they react? And what happens when Hackett they stack never, it up? Hackett never blamed himself. 
uh, although he was much less inclined than Peyton is to run other people over, proverbially speaking. Uh, Sanders is kind of somewhere between Hackett and Peyton uh, when it comes to pointing fingers, I would say. He's not as bad as Peyton, but he has more of a tendency to do it, especially lately, uh, than Hackett did. Um, Reaction to losing is always instructive uh, for me. And that's why I, when coaches struggle their first year, uh, and I think of Mike Shanahan taking over a team uh, from Wade Phillips that I believe in 1994 went 7-9. They improved by exactly one game, but they were a clearly better team in 1995 because they competed their losses were games in which they were more competitive. Their record wasn't that much different, but was anybody shocked, surprised maybe, but really shocked when the Broncos went from 8-8, eight and eight, Shannon's first year, to 13-3 the next? I don't think shocked would be the word, maybe mildly surprised, but I wasn't shocked. Don't remember being shocked at the time because '95 was so much better than '94. Now, I I think with Dion now the problem is not so much recruiting in a long term sense, and we're assuming he stays longer than a couple of years. Yeah, but recruiting for next year, I I, I just don't know, and I think. People taking a look at them now see less of the record, four and five, than they see all of, and I'll call it a neutral term, commotion around the program. And in my opinion, the commotion created, particularly in the last week, was unnecessary. Well, and and some of it continues because now you're running into a situation in which Pat Shermer took over as the primary play caller. But the Buffaloes never announced that. He was apparently elevated to co-offensive coordinator, but the Buffaloes never announced that. Uh, Shadur Sanders did not take the bait from the Denver Post. Sean Keeler when asked what, what play caller he preferred, whether it was Sean Lewis or uh, Pat Shermer. Uh, Sean had an opportunity to talk to Deion Sanders today in the, in the weekly press conference and ask more of a follow-up question regarding this offensive coordinator play caller situation because the Buffaloes have not addressed it. It's, it's merely been reported by multiple sources from inside. Uh, Dion wasn't having much of it. Coach Sean Keeler of the Denver Post, I have a question for you as a dad <laughs> and as a coach. First, the coach question. Uh, as far as you know and care to say, is the uh, play-calling arrangement still going to be the play-calling arrangement? On are are right you now? the guy that Shador was? Are Am you, I the guy? Did I, you? I, did I'm probably that guy, yeah. It's so funny that I didn't know that, but from your line of questioning, like how you how you came with it, it's like something clicked in my head and say, that's the guy. And I didn't even see the press conference. I just saw him laugh and, and, and say, come on, dog. <laughs> Whatever it, was, it was a good said. stiff arm. It was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I passed that. I passed that. Let that go, man. Just let, let it go. You ain't you barking up a tree that you ain't going to get up. That's Just right. let it go. We're, we're some happy people right here. We're ecstatic. Good. We're blessed. We're highly favored. We're, we're – we're, 
we're not where we want to be, but we, we ain't where we used to be. And we're going in the right direction, so we're good. We're not that like controversy and that stuff. We don't. We don't. We're trying to raise these kids, man. Yeah. Grown folks' problems they, they, that don't help kids. Speaking of raising, and kids. I've been through two divorces, and I know that for a fact. <laughs> Grown folks' problems don't help kids. But he created them. He created them. I, I I made the argument on Friday that when this news broke. That, you know, we can talk about the ramifications of what that means for Sean Lewis and the program going forward. But I thought that the move was defensible and had the, the program just come out and said, hey, we've made a change at play calling. Pat Shermer's going to step in and take over play calling duties. Uh, Sean Lewis is going to still retain his role as quarterbacks coach and said it. You could nitpick about whether that was the right choice or not, but I think it was defensible and it would have been transparent. But at, he doesn't at, feel the need to defend at himself this point, about anything. We can't even get them to admit that Pat Shermer's calling the plays. Well. Who said it? Who's actually said it? You see him up there and you see him right. calling the plays. And you see it's obvious, Sean but, Lewis signaling them in. And But in that point, what's so hard, I think, for Dion to just be like, well, I agree. You know, I, I yeah, we we made we made the change, and uh, we we liked some of it, and some of it takes some go, work. Let what go? Let what go? The questioning who's you, calling you the plays? You, you, questioning you, if, you, if you that situation is going to go forward or not? Acknowledge it, but but you have said it was a change that had to be made, and the question was, had is, to? Well, it, had to? And is it going to go? Why this did week? it have to be made? And I could answer that. The offense was averaging 41 points per game in its last four home games. They scored 17 the other night. He broke what doesn't need fixing. He did. He's the head coach. He made the call. It wasn't Shadur Sanders who made the call. It wasn't the offensive lineman who said, we want a new offensive line coach. We don't like the guy who's coaching Uh us now. We want... Pat Shermer to coach. Let me let me let me, let me say this line. though, Sandy, because you can you can go off on any way you'd like. I think when you're saying he that they had scored X amount of points, and so he broke what needed fixing. It didn't need fixing. Here's what needed fixing, and I think here's what the primary objective was. Don't get Shadur Sanders sacked four four or five times a game. But he did. Well, two of those were on Shadur holding the ball. Uh, well. And the, so were some of the other ones when Sean Lewis but, was but there. But there were Sean different. Sean Lewis is the play caller. There all were, the sacks of the offensive line as well. There and were different true. routes being run. There were different plays being run. There were different. There was quite a bit of different play calling run. Was it successful? Not entirely. Was it Not foolish at, at the beginning of the first half? It was. But I see where their change was. And what it tells me is what needed fixing to Deion Sanders' mind was getting Shadur Sanders hit less often. That's what what needed fixing. He he left the field during the game and went into the locker room. Even Deion Sanders said today he walks like I walk. Right. Now some of that, this is, that's on Pat Shermer too. It is, but let's not pretend Sean, that with Sean Lewis calling the plays, he never went into the locker room during the game sure to did. get treatment. Sure he not did. during the game. Sure he did last not week. During sure he the did. Ga- According to Deion Sanders last week, yes he did. According to Deion Sanders He's himself, lying yes he did at UCLA. Yep. He said he's he, lying. Deion Sanders he said, said he, he went, got shot up he at halftime. I got halftime. He had an injection. Halftime. Not during the game. This happened during the game. I understand he didn't miss any time, but during the game, he was let off the field into the locker room. That's what I'm saying. 
halftime well, is intermission. No, it's not. He's had to get a it's... shot two games in a row. One under Pat Shermer calling it. One under Sean Lewis calling it. You but had injuries are announcers who are loath to talk about injuries saying, you got to get him out of there. Osweiler all but begging them to get him out of there. Yeah, that should have happened in UCLA. Samuel Jackson on social media saying he'll be in a wheelchair. Right. Should have happened in the UCLA game. Should have happened, you know, but yeah. It, that. Well, okay, but it didn't, and there was much more. He was in much more in-game discomfort this last oh, Saturday no, no doubt. than he had been at any no other doubt. time. He was getting no cracked doubt. just about every time he went back to pass. If not sacked, then hit. They had 78 yards yeah. and three points before they disrupted a two-point conversion try mm-hmm. and ran 88 yards the other way. They had on one play yeah. that was a two-point conversion on a point-after attempt or a try for two, gain more yards on that one play and they than had they had. they had offense at the time, right? Uh, all offense. I mean, how much do you have to set it? Their idea of bad with Sean Lewis was a failure to score 30 points. That was considered under Sean Lewis bad. And now when they score basically during garbage time, two touchdowns in the fourth quarter the other night, but never have possession with a chance to win the game, I, we're, we're supposed to say, well, you know, I mean, I'll grant him this. He has the right to make that call, mm-hmm. but we have the right to question it. Sure. And Sean Keeler has the right to question it. And Sean Keeler never asked Deion Sanders that question. No, he asked Shadur Sanders that he question. He asked Shadur the question. I, I thought this And, and, he, and he asked slightly different questions, quite yeah, frankly. Yeah, and they were slightly different. But I would say I would say this. The first part of his question to Shadur was eminently fair, and I wish the second part had not come after it. The first part was, did you see any difference in the play calling? And he might have dodged that, but that's a more direct question and more easily answered than the question of, if it were up to you, who would you have calling the plays? Of course, he's going to deny that he has any right to an opinion on that. He just plays. He's he's not going to prefer Sean Lewis, and he's not going to say, he prefers Pat Shermer. I'm not even sure that Shador Sanders knows who Pat Shermer is because up until last week. He was an analyst, not a he coach. He was an analyst. And even he said earlier right. in the year, I feel next to useless here. I, I'm a coach, and I'm not really coaching. I make a few suggestions. But, you know, I'm kind of the consultant who's not consulted, although I, th- I thought it was interesting last week that the head coach who wouldn't acknowledge the change publicly made a big point of saying, oh, Pat Shermer and Dennis Thurman sit on either side of me at all the coaches' meetings all year long, and their advice is invaluable. Funny how we never heard that before last week. But that was, as far as I can tell, the only rationale he gave for making the change. Well, Pat Shermer sits next to me. This is the first in in Deion Sanders' coaching career in which he has faced genuine difficulty, genuine challenges that that they have, you know, now lost, you know, 
five out of six games. And and they're in a spot where things are, are rough. And his ability to deal with it is going to define not only this season, but the the idea that, oh, well, you know, Dion's a temporary stop on the way to Colorado. How he, how he handles this situation is going to depend on how much demand he's going to be somewhere else. It's going to be a very fascinating next couple of weeks for the Buffaloes who, if they can't find a way to beat Arizona and stop the losses, they will almost certainly lose out. Well, Arizona's a ranked team. I if you had caught Arizona a month ago, you'd be favored to I'm beat them. Not now that now you're a nine and a half point under. Mm-hmm. But it's your best one left on the schedule. It's your best shot left. Oh, I don't think so. I think Washington State's mm. a much better shot. Washington State just collapsed over the last three or four weeks. They aren't even ranked now. They're barely in the top 50, I think. It will be an interesting week for the Buffaloes. We'll find out if they eventually decide to say who's actually calling the plays. I mean, the, the lack of transparency there is somewhat concerning. Their finale at the home uh, half of their schedule will be on Saturday at noon. Uh, good news up in Boulder, though, for the Buffaloes. Not the football Buffaloes. The basketball Buffaloes. Not that basketball Buffaloes. The ones that were in the Sweet 16 last year. The ones that have higher settings than that after a win over number one LSU. We'll talk about the Buffaloes basketball shocking the world next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Never a doubt. Everyone that wanted to talk about, oh, it's going to be such a hard game. Ooh, what do you think? Why'd you do that? Why'd you pick that game? Because I knew we could beat those guys. Okay, not because of them, but because of us. Okay, and who we are. We're built on toughness, resiliency, and we're fearless. Great. Thank you. That is head coach J.R. Payne of the Colorado Buffaloes women's basketball team. Caught on TNT with, uh, without the beep, by the way. A little drama there happening. After that is the Buffaloes topple the LSU Tigers, the defending national champions, the number one ranked team in the country, 92-78. to 78. Uh, They were extraordinary. And in this opening game out in Vegas, a game in which was expected to be something of a coronation for LSU, even though the Buffs came into that game ranked 20th after making the Sweet 16 last year. They get the job done, and this is a team with a lot of returning talent. And uh, it was really put on display. Frida Foreman led the scoring 27 points in 35 minutes, 7 for 11 from three. Uh, Jalen Sherrod, who starred so uh, often in the tournament run last year, 19 points, eight boards, six assists, three steals. Steals were the the uh, currency of the day for the Buffaloes, who came away with 11 steals in the game to LSU six. And got get this, we're talking about the defending national champions. Uh, did they lose a couple players? Yes. Did they still have Angel Reese? Yes. Did they still get the top transfer player in the country in Haley Van Lith? They sure did. And they had 13 assists and 19 turnovers. Reese held to six of 15 shooting and, and, uh, to complete that scoring with the, the top scores with Foreman and Sherrod, now uh, Aaron Advanla, who really started to come into her own on the tournament as well. 11 for 15 from the field, 
24 points from their big center, six boards and four assists, passing out of the a post. Jokic-like performance. Very much so, and, and it's a really impressive. Uh, this wasn't a fluke. And no, oh, it, no. They it beat was him. they beat they beat good. them soundly, and and Kim Mulkey after the after the game talked about losing to Colorado and said they were just hungry. They made a Sweet Sixteen last year. They know what it feels like. One leads another. One makes the other look better. That's experience. That's minutes played together. And said uh, again, you know that uh, Colorado was a, a a good team. They said you know they did exactly what I thought it would do. They shot the ball from three, poised, polished, hungry. Everything I said about them, you saw today. The Buffalo's got a visit from one Shaquille O'Neal who popped in after the game to congratulate them. Of course, he was there to watch LSU, of course. where he, of course, went. Uh, Candace Parker came in and to congratulate them as well. It, it's the start of something maybe special for a Buffalo's team that uh, only found themselves getting knocked out by the unparalleled run uh, with Caitlin Clark in Iowa. Right. Correct. Last year, of which uh, nobody stopped them. And the Buffs actually gave them a pretty good run before falling in that tournament. Right. They bring back the majority of their players and bring back all those minutes and experience together. And you start the season like this. Yeah. Uh, Kim Mulkey is a championship coach. Four, so four national champions. If, if she's talking that way about CU, that carries with it uh, a great deal of uh, credibility. Uh, but I want Jared Payne to start getting some. Yes. Credit. Uh, Heck, and yeah. I know it's it's hard around here. Uh, there, there are a lot of uh, uh, very successful coaches. We tend to spend a lot of our time talking about those who uh, aren't necessarily doing as well or uh, as well as they should be doing in our estimation at times. But uh, she's been uh, terrific. And I, I listened, uh, they, they had a nice run under Seal Berry, but I, I think, I think, I think they're better. I, I think this is the best women's team they've had. I think so, too. Last year was close to being the mm-hmm. best. Uh, and maybe last year's team was the best up until last year. Uh, this year's team is better. And I think the sky's the limit. I mean, you beat the number one team. You beat the national champs. and that, You can't do much better than that. She's in- a season. I was looking at, at the college scores last night because yeah. I, I was – focused on the uh, Monday night game and some of the, the the Nuggets, the NBA action. So I take a glance at the college scoreboard, and I see CU and LSU, and on ESPN, they have a box, and it's sometimes difficult to distinguish between men's games that right. they're highlighting and women's games you thought, that they're wait, highlighting. I thought the men's a, and I, men's I, I said, well, what, are the men, what are the men doing playing LSU? And then I, then I looked at it and I said, well, wow, that's the women. Yeah. And there's a one next to LSU. And I said, well, I know it's the women now. And and they were comfortably ahead at, at that at the point at which I looked. Um, I'll tell you, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just a glutton for you say com- a team I root ahead. for. I, I, I root for, uh, and Kansas was beating up on, I think, North Carolina Central or something by 50 points. So I'm going to over and watch that because I know Kansas, though, at this point, the number one team ranked in the country, uh, they won't be beating teams by 50 points very often. So I, that, the fact that so you could just say com- the Buffaloes were comfortably but, ahead when you look. Comfortably ahead. Of the number one team in the country. Yes. Of the defending yes. national title. That's right. With the at least universally acclaimed best player in college basketball in Angel Reese. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's obviously a great sign. J.R. Payne, by the way, 
uh, in her eighth season as head coach for the Buffs. Her record now is 120 and 92. It uh, basically instantly good. Yeah. She got a five-year contract extension, by the way, after the tournament Richly last deserved. year that, that now gets them, uh, keeps her under contract through the 27-28 season, which is uh, a, a terrific I don't know signing. her well, but to say that uh, she's the best coach on campus would not necessarily be an overstatement. Have any of the other coaches taken their teams to the final 16? Mm-hmm. Well, then there you go. <laughs> it's just that simple, right? I mean, if you if you have playoffs for these things, this, I'm like, man, uh, the men that. might not be as good as the women this year, but uh, Jay Billis, who uh, every year before the season begins ranks teams one through sixty eight. Now we both know that in the NCAA tournament, it isn't about the sixty eight best teams qualifying nope. because they're automatic qualifiers right. who by definition which are awesome and i hope they never change that i hope they never change it i agree with you 100 percent. but he went one through 68 and he put colorado at number 26 and if you put somebody at 26 um the chances at one point during the year at least that they'll get into the top 25 are probably pretty good good start for the for the (laughs) men as well 75 57 against visiting Towson you're expected to to beat them well did you look at the scores of the ranked teams last night there wasn't a single game that was close save for one fourth ranked Michigan State got beaten by the nephew of Tom Izzo (laughs) wow Tom Izzo's nephew I guess you can live with that beat him out of a ball game right last night can you and Michigan State is ranked fourth in the country but every other game was a blowout because no college basketball team schedules on opening night. The number one team, team in the country? Except for J.R. Payne, who said, you heard it right at the beginning of the segment. She scheduled it because she, she said we can beat them. Yeah. Well, no. no. I, right. I mean, with the women, right? I, I think there's a different, Slightly different. mentality. Uh, but, you, I mean, you don't see, oh, what's the... Kansas playing UConn this year, right? But not it's on not opening, opening night. night. No. Uh, in fact, matter of fact, for the for the men on Friday, they will take uh, the, the next three. Actually, the next four games are at home up in Boulder. They will take on Grambling on uh, Friday the tenth. The next week, uh, Tuesday they'll take fourteenth. Uh, they'll take on Milwaukee, and then Rich the Richmond Spiders on Monday the twentieth, and then Richmond the twenty sixth can be pretty good. Uh, yeah, Iona. Uh, in the 26th, and then they've only Rick hit the Pitino, road. Rick uh, former coach yeah. at Iona, now at Get St. this John. sort of bonkers schedule. They play at Colorado State at Moby on the 29th. Yeah. yeah. That's their only road game until January 4th. They have one road game in this calendar year. Yeah. What? Okay. That is, <laughs> that is weird. Yeah. Like, really weird. Well, uh, I guess you better, you want to make sure if you're the buffs, you, you need yeah. to make sure you cash in your home court uh, advantage you, while you've you got better, it because you, better, you, uh, you don't have it for a lot. You don't One have ranked it. team as it stands yeah. today will come in. That'll be the University of Miami, which currently yeah, ranked well, 13th. That'll be in team. early December. I will, and then, of course, I when you get into uh, some Pac 12 scheduling, there's some, uh, some good ones. So, um, good start for the men, incredible start uh, for the women. They uh, presumably will have no real challenge with uh, Lemoyne. Tomorrow, no. but um, no, so. on Sunday they get back at it versus Oklahoma State, and uh, that will be a game of some significance as well. So, um, basketball season for the Buffs, men and women, it, it's going to be a lot of fun this year. There's a lot 
to like. There's a lot to be excited about. Basketball season in Denver, of course, is already exciting because, you know, the, the reigning defending champs play here. That would be the Denver Nuggets, who uh, looked every part of it. No Jamal Murray, no problem last night. Ryan Blackburn, our lead writer for Mile High Sports, will join us to talk about it next.